Church. This is your lead pastor, Mike Signorelli, and I'm so excited to share a message that I've been waiting to share for quite some time. It's a very easy topic. It's why does God allow suffering and evil in the world? <laughs> okay, it's not so easy. It's going to be a very difficult topic. Um, it, I'm going to be teaching, though. And so as I'm teaching this message, I want to make sure that you take notes. Um, there's a very important question that we all ask ourselves, and it's how could God be good, and yet there's so much evil in the world? So go ahead and take your seats and get comfortable right now and get settled in for a moment as we, well, don't get too too comfortable, but get settled in as we tackle this subject together today. We're going to be taking a look at why did God create evil? Joe Rogan famously asked, why did God create war? You know, you think about all these horrific things in the news, he said, school shootings. Why would God create a mind, the human mind that acts in that way? And for many atheists and agnostics, when you ask him, you know, why do you not believe in God? It's this question that serves as the main reason that they don't believe in the biblical God. So how could the biblical God be loving? How could he be good? How could he be wise? How could he be powerful? And yet there's evil in the world. Therefore, in the minds of many people, the biblical God cannot possibly be real. So we're going to deal with this today. And I would encourage you to take notes. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to share this with as many people as you can, especially your loved ones, maybe your children, maybe your spouse, but they've been asking this question and I believe that there's a really, really good answer. And I'm not gonna waste any time. Point one, let's talk about the reality of evil and suffering. You know, we have this funny condition as humans where we want free will when it comes to sin, but we wanna be puppets when it comes to the blessing. <laughs> Come on, I'm coming for you today. Everybody wants free will when it comes to how can I sin? What things do I want to do? Please give me the unfettered ability to do them. But then when it comes to like experiencing blessing and favor, when it comes to experiencing the good things of life, we, we want God to just make us puppets where he just, man, he just worked it out this time. He just did it for me this time. And so it's this weird human condition where we want to be puppets when it comes to blessing, but we want free will when it comes to sin. And we can't have both. Because God wants to try to work out his will through us, but going back to his original design, he in fact gave us free will. Now, Adam and Eve in the garden, they were not created puppets. They are your ancestors. You have lineage to Adam and Eve. I don't know if you know that. We all share common ancestors. And he said, you have, you have free reign within this garden, but there's one thing that you can't do. You can't eat of this this, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And how many of you know that's the very thing that they did? If you have kids, you know that your kids can do so many things. They have so many freedoms within your house. It's the thing you don't want them to put in their mouth when they're a kid and they put it in their mouth and you think they're going to choke on it. It's, it's the thing you don't want your kid to eat. That's the thing they eat. They don't eat the broccoli, but they'll eat the cake. That, that's just what human nature is. And so what happens when there's much higher consequences? Look at this. Now we're going to go very deep. So lock in and make sure you stay through all of my points because I believe this might be one of the most 
significant teachings that you've ever heard. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 through 19 says, to the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. So this is God designing pain to enter into the universe. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. And watch this, ladies. I know you're not going to want to hear this, but this is God speaking. And he shall rule over you. Uh Uh-oh. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and you are dust, and to dust you will return. So men, there is a reality, a consequence for doing things our own way, contrary to God's will, And that means we have to work by the sweat of our brow. That means, women, there's pain in childbearing. There was not pain in childbearing before the fall of humanity. But what God was saying is, oh, come on, stay with me. What God was saying is, is I have a perfect will. I have a perfect plan. But if you do it your way, you're going to suffer the consequences of deviating from that perfect plan. And I think it's important to understand because we talk about the devil bringing the curse. The curse that's upon our lives is actually the consequence of sin and the curse is visited on our life by God for stepping outside of his will. And it's visited upon our families as a result of stepping outside of his will. Now that's number one. This is point one is humanity has fallen. We, we, we are agents, moral agents of free will. We are not puppets. And so we've contributed to evil in the world. It's, I mean, read the Bible account. The very first murder that happened was not God murdering someone. It was actually man murdering his own brother. And so when you see lust and perversion, it's us being agents of free will. Now, that's how you get the existence of true love. Love is a choice. I choose to love. And, and so as a result of that, you also have this true unfettered love, but you also have unfettered lust and passions. But then the second reason why we have evil, and this is not my second point, I'm just still within point one, is Satan and demons. So there's a supernatural evil. And this supernatural evil is different than moral evil. Moral evil is on man. It's on humanity. But supernatural evil, that's on Satan and his demons. Job chapter 1, verse 6 through 12 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan said, oh, I was just going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered the servant Job? Wait a second. I thought Satan was in hell, pastor. No, the book of Job says that Satan and his demons are actually roaming around planet earth and that Satan has access to heaven. 
So for everybody who says, well, a Christian can't have a demon because a, a demon can't cohabitate in the same place that the presence of God is, you didn't read the book of Job. Get out of here with your bad theology. Satan literally has access to heaven. So if Satan doesn't get vanquished in the presence of God in heaven, surely he can abide in your The demons could be in your mind, your emotions, or your physical body. Get out of here with that bad theology. Job shows us that Satan has access to, to heaven itself. And then God says to Satan, have you considered Job? What? We got a whole bunch of non-denominational evangelical Christians getting their mind blown right now. You mean God offered up Job to the devil? It's almost like they're working together. No, no, they're not. They're not. But can I submit to you the idea that in God's sovereign will, he's working out a plan and he didn't make you a puppet he made you an agent of, of change and an agent of free will, but he was actually giving you the ability to choose, including his angelic beings, Lucifer being one of them who becomes Satan, and he's working this whole thing together, and God's not capable of committing sin. He's not capable of committing evil, but he will even design it and allow it in the universe for his own sovereign purposes. Oh, Okay, now we're looking at the book of Habakkuk. And this is what it says in chapter one, verse one through four. The oracle that Habakkuk, the, the prophet, saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the justice. So justice goes forth perverted. This is the prophet. And he's saying, what is he saying? God, it's almost like you're not paying attention to the school shootings. It's like you're not paying attention to the kids that are born in dysfunction and trauma and they're the result of incest and rape. And it's almost, God, like you're powerless when it comes to dealing with the people who are dying of starvation in uh, different nations of the earth. And it's like the prophet is wrestling with this same idea that we wrestle with as well. But God is sovereign. And this is point two, so you can write this down for your notes. This is the mystery of God's sovereignty. And this is going to offend some democratic thinkers. Here in America, we believe that we always know everything. To be in America is like, we know everything. We're better than everyone. We're better than every country. We know everything. And so it's very hard, especially because we vote. I'm going to vote this guy into position. I'm going to vote that guy into a position. We have elections coming up. We vote people into power. It's hard for us to understand the sovereignty of God, the mystery of that sovereignty. But this helps unlock the question of why there's evil and suffering in the earth. God is sovereign. 
He's in control of everything. He's in control of the school shootings. He's in control of the kids born from incest and rape. He's in control of the kids born with genetic illnesses. He's in control of the children that will die of starvation. He's in control of everything. And this is the mystery of God's sovereignty. And I know for many of you, you're saying, but how can he be good if he's also in control of it? That's not the same as him causing it. That's not the same of him desiring it. But in his infinite wisdom, he's working it all together with an ultimate plan in mind. And so let me go a little bit deeper because I know for some of you right now, the wheels are turning. This might be the deepest thoughts that you've had in quite a while. But when you consider the question of why there's suffering in the earth, why is there pain in the earth? Why is there evil in the earth? There is a reasonable, rational answer. And when we get to the end of this, I believe some of you are going to be shouting because you see God's plan and how perfect it really is. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, 9. This is what it says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways. Romans chapter 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of, and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable. See, you can search Google and you can find an appropriate answer that you like, but you can't search the unfathomable riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's unknowable to you in its entirety. So there's going to have to be a level where you simply say, God, I submit and surrender to your wisdom. I submit and surrender to your ways. I don't understand it. As a matter of fact, it even makes me mad, but I know that God, you are sovereign. This is what Romans says for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has been God's counselor right now. The culture is trying to counsel God. Oh, if I was God, I would do it like this. If I was God, nobody would starve. If I was God, nobody would be born in a family like that. If I was God, evil wouldn't exist. But if you were God, oh, come on, you would actually make the same decisions you've already made. The decisions that you made for your life right now are using the same autonomy that God had. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what happens is we hold God liable for a decision-making process that we don't hold our own selves to. We've been destructive in our sexuality. We've been destructive in our finances. We've been destructive, destructive in our interpersonal relationships. The only difference is we didn't have a a plan other than to satisfy our own desires. So by the same measure that we measure to God, we're guilty. The only difference is God never did evil and he's not guilty. And so I'm setting something straight in this culture. And I know I'm speaking to four atheists right now that are watching this live stream and they're in this broadcast and I'm offending you all the way to the truth today. I'm going to keep going deeper because I'm going to, I'm unlocking this thing one step at a time. God exists as sovereign. Let me define sovereign for you. God exists as sovereign. Sovereignty simply means he's in control of everything. That's it. So God exists in control of everything and he allows evil, but he is a good God that is incapable of doing evil. But he sovereignly allows evil. He takes full responsibility for the existence of evil 
because there's a divine plan. Now, I'm going to read some scriptures that probably 99% of pastors in America don't have the guts and the courage to read because they don't have a theology big enough and a framework sound enough to even deal with it. So there's a high likelihood you've been going to church your whole life and you never heard these scriptures unless you read them yourself. But I'm bold enough to preach them from my pulpit this Sunday. And so listen to this. Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even, not, even I, am he, and that there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. This is God talking. Exodus chapter four, verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute? Who has made him deaf? Who has made him seeing or who has made him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? See, the atmosphere starts shifting because we've come before him. It's daddy God. Oh, it's my heavenly father. He loves me. Yes, but until you understand the fullness of who God is in his holiness, in his sovereignty. You don't enter into a realm of his glory. There's a greater glory. There's a greater weight of his nature that's waiting for you in worship. When you say it is God, he is capable of all things, but chooses to be good, but reveals his goodness in the things that I don't even think are good. Oh, come on. This is, I, feel, I feel the power of God right now in a very unique way for somebody because God's taking, he's maturing you right now in this message. Psalm 105, 16 says, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread. This is God doing this. Second Kings 17, 25. And the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Do you know that you serve the God that sent lions to kill people? I mean, you're not, I mean, we, you're not going to hear a worship song with those lyrics in 2023, but it complicates our perspective on God. In, in, but I'm doing this intentionally to help bring you into a greater measure of freedom in your mind. These verses showcase God's power. God's sovereignty and his control over various aspects of our life, including death, physical abilities, and even natural disasters. And the events that unfold in the world that we see are not outside of his control. They reflect the Bible's true teachings about God's authority and his active involvement in the affairs of humanity. But I got good news, and I know it didn't sound like I was going to have good news, but I got good news. This is point number three. The purposes of God are revealed through his testing and his pain. The purposes of God through testing grow us. God allowed it. He designed it into the universe, and without it, listen, could not bring forth his purposes. No, he didn't create evil. We created evil. Angelic beings created evil by using our free choice to choose something other than his perfect plan. But God willed it into existence. And I'm going to show you why. It ultimately brings glory to him. Evil and suffering ultimately bring glory to God. And we praise him 
because what he has done to overcome that evil. So we brought it into the earth through sin. Lucifer and his and, and fallen angels brought it into the different atmospheres and realms of the spiritual dimensions. But God now has conquered all evil through Jesus Christ. And when we look at James chapter one, verses two and four, and this is something worth shouting over, it says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so could it be that that God doesn't want school shootings to happen. God doesn't want incest and rape. God doesn't want wars and murder. But could it be that he is now causing the, what those things are doing on us to work us into perfection? And as we see those things, we say, we have to rise up righteously and be the answer and God's response to what's happening in the schools. You don't have a warrior without a war. You don't have a fighter without a fight. And so no, it wasn't God's plan, but he will awaken the warrior on the inside of you and say, now I've given you spiritual weapons. Come on, I feel the anointing on this. I've given you spe special weapons to fight the evil that you see because God says, I hate the evil like you hate the evil. And the things that people attribute to God being evil, God is so holy, he's so righteous, it's us not understanding his ways. Romans chapter five, verse three through five says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Can somebody shout hallelujah on that? So here's the thing. The apostle Paul three times cried out to God and said, God, please let this pain stop. And God says, no, Paul, I'm not going to let it stop. I'm going to actually use it to show my glory and make you into the man that you were destined to be. God had a plan for it. And so many times we're trying to get out from underneath suffering when it's God's very plan to work something on the inside of us. You don't have a purpose without seeing pain. And the thing inside of you that says, oh, I can't stand human trafficking. That's your purpose kicking on the inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit in the inside of you saying, now make it right. Use the blood of Jesus. Use the anointing of the Holy Spirit and make it right. Because in God's sovereign plan, he said, I'm going to recruit some of my sons and daughters to continue the work of overcoming evil in the world. Habakkuk chapter two, verse one through four says, I will take my stand at my watch posts and station myself on the tower and, and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning, concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run with it who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. Look, 
The prophet Habakkuk, he starts off by saying, God, why is there evil in the world? And then only one chapter later, oh, I feel the power of God on this. Only one chapter later, he's getting a word from God and because he's saying, God, I'm going to be a watchman. God, I see the evil, but I'm not going to stop at what I see. I want to do something about what I see. When I showed up to New York City, people said, are you crazy? There's prostitution happening. There's gangs on, on the blocks in these different neighborhoods. There's theft and there's all kinds of evil in New York City. I said, yes, God's setting me up as a watchman over this city. It's not the evil you see. It's what you do about what you see. And Habakkuk was saying, give me the vision, God. I'll write it down on tablets. I'll make it plain and I'll run with it. And so for every person who's saying, well, God doesn't exist because they're evil, has committed an evil within some proximity of even asking that question. Homie, you are part of the problem. The people asking the question are a part of the question, but the answer is Jesus. And the answer is a whole bunch of Jesus people rising up. Come on, I know nobody's going to shout me down now and saying, yeah, it was our fault that it happened. It was Satan's fault that it happened, but I'm going to stand with Jesus and be part of the reason why it doesn't happen anymore. Which leads me to my last and finally, final point. This is point four, the redemption through Christ. Did you know that heaven is not your final destination? I know I just shocked somebody because you just couldn't wait to pass your by and by. That's swing low, sweet cherry. <laughs> coming for to carry me. Oh, we're, we're waiting for our, our eternal vacation in the sky. That is not God's plan. But God's plan, and again, you're not going to hear this in Pentecostal charismatic churches where the pastor doesn't know proper theology or hardly even read his Bible because they're chasing experiences and not chasing the God and the author of this book. But heaven is not the eternal plan. Heaven is a temporary plan. The eternal plan is the renewal of all things. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new Jerusalem that descends into the new earth. And we are going to rule and reign and have dominion over the earth. And you will have assignments and you will have purposes. You're not just going to be some ethereal uh, ghost figure floating in heaven, eating ghost cake and drinking ghost wine and having a good time in your ghost body floating around just singing Bethel songs around the throne of God. That is not the plan. So if you don't have a purpose in this life, you don't have a purpose in the next life. We have to be on mission. We're working our way to God's sovereign plan, which is the renewal of all things. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through 25 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Come on, Paul was being persecuted, beaten. Paul was in prison. Paul, I mean, he was going through it. And he said, this is just a little bit of pain compared to what God's going to be doing. He had an eternal perspective. And I think that God wants you to shift into an eternal perspective. Yes, there are kids dying of starvation. Yes, that there's school shootings and there's pregnancies as a result of incest. And there's these heinous things happening like war. But when you look at the eternal plan, we were all, for those of us who say yes to Jesus, always secure in the safety of his sovereignty. We could always rest in knowing, oh, it might 
of felt like it lasted a long time, but it was just a little while. First Peter chapter two, verse 21 says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body by the tree that we might not die in sin, but live righteously by his wounds you have been healed come on somebody stand up to your feet right now because we're getting ready to shift out of an old way of thinking come on get ready to shift out of we're going to stop asking God why does suffering happen and we're going to start declaring I'm going to join Christ in becoming a solution to that suffering God I'm not trying to let it I'm trying to let it work itself in me and work itself through me. And that's the way of a Christian. When sickness comes to our body, we say we know that there's healing for this sickness. But God, I've experienced this sickness to activate a faith on the inside of me to begin to believe for my healing and declare healing for somebody else. When we are being plagued by demons, we, we feel the affliction of that demonic oppression. But something inside of us rises up and a fighter is awakened. And we say, now, not only do I learn how to deal with the demons attacking me, but I'm about to break some chains off of some captives and continue the work of Jesus. There's something about this suffering. No, God didn't intend it. God didn't want it. But God says, I'll take what the enemy meant for your harm and turn it around for your good. And I will sovereignly cause a people who go through pain and suffering to be worked into perfection. And then on the other side, in a new heaven and a new earth, earth, we will dwell and rule and reign together, having gone through the filter called suffering. It's a test, but how many of you are going to graduate this test of suffering? I'm not failing because in this test, you don't fail and get to repeat it. But this life is just one test of suffering. And I want the Lord to find me worshiping through it. I want to be like Paul who says, I'm singing in this jail cell. I want to be like Jesus who, while there's spitting in his face. He looks at him. He says, forgive them. They know not what they do. The heroes of the faith are heroes of suffering. They knew how to suffer well. They knew how to, they knew it was just for a little while. I'm going to laugh through this suffering. I'm going to dance through this suffering. I'm going to shout through this suffering. I'm going to encourage someone else through this suffering. I'm going to give somebody else a prophecy when I need a prophecy. I'm going to give somebody else a verse when I need a verse. There's something about suffering. God says, I didn't intend this ingredient, but I willed it into the universe because this is one of the most potent ingredients I can use to make you into what I've purposed you to be. Somebody shout unto God. Take a 10 second praise break right now if God's speaking something to you. Hallelujah. Let's pray right now because this has been a riveting 30 minutes through the scriptures, but I can't tell you enough that people who are atheists as a result of this very question are not acknowledging their own contribution to the problem.
The difference between an atheist and a true believer is not who sees suffering and who doesn't. It's who becomes part of the solution and who doesn't. And the only solution is Jesus Christ. Everything else will fail. But Jesus said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. So let me begin to pray with you right now. Just lift up your holy hands towards heaven right now. And I want our entire church across every location to say this together right now. Say, Heavenly Father, I submit to you. You are sovereign. Your ways are higher than my ways. Father, I accept my assignment for my purpose through this suffering. I will do your will to overcome evil in the world. Jesus, I thank you for the cross. You have overcome it all. In Jesus' name, come on, somebody shout amen, amen, amen.